Welcome to the Spark Revolution podcast, featuring the Phoenix Spark Innovation Team from Travis Air Force Base, California. Spark is Travis Air Force Base's innovation cell created in 2016 by a group of airmen who are tired of accepting the status quo. This podcast is a collaborative discussion on disruptive innovation with you, the airmen, who are hungry to solve problems at the lowest level. Join the revolution. All right, everybody. So this is our fourth episode of the Spark podcast, Join the Revolution. With me today is Maximilian Estrada and Phil Edwards and John Dickerson, all part of the team. I know that they've been in previous episodes, um, but we're all here today just hanging out. It's in the middle of our COVID quarantine at home, working at home. How's it going for you guys? Hey, doing all right. I'm uh, anxious for the weather to warm up because my garage office is cold. Really? Yeah, yeah I'm going to second that one. Uh, it has not been fun. <laughs> There's no heater in the garage. so Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's good so far. There's plenty of perfect heat in my office. All right. You and your office over there. <laughs> in your own little corner, in your own little chair. Yeah. yeah. But you're not in the, right. But Max, you're not in the dorms, though, so that's... No, yeah, it's it's a house, but it's still just a garage. There's no insulation in the garage. Is that because the 3D printer is in the garage? Yeah, that's where both my 3D printers and my computer is. Okay. Yeah, it's where you you really realize you can to. bring those inside, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. But then I have to deal with, you know, roommates and a dog. And that's just not needed. A cat. So. It's old. Oh, cat. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest <laughs> trouble for me is the VPNing, trying to doing the virtual privacy network for the military side, trying to log in when everyone's doing it and the system's not designed to VPN from home and work from home. And, you know, you're waiting 30 minutes to send one email. Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, uh, it was a nightmare the other day. I was uh, I was trying to get onto email and I I, I hadn't logged on in a while because I struggled to. And uh, I finally, it finally all loaded. I don't know if I just struck at a lucky time at 2 a.m. in the morning. It's like gambling. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and it just exploded with, Emails after emails yep. after emails, and I was like, "Wow, I'm the only person on the VPN right now. Everyone else is yeah. <laughs> Everyone else asleep. is asleep right now yeah. or something. Yeah, but yeah. literally, I have great luck connecting through China. Honestly, they've got an excellent VPN server for us. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, <laughs> um, oh god. Uh, yeah. So everybody's doing our even now at the podcast. I'm recording from my house, and we have social distancing occurring as we speak with uh, Max and Phil here at my table, six feet away. And then we have John on the phone. That is the maximum social distancing that we can. So uh, we're still, the thing is, we're still working. Everybody's working constantly. The team's been uh, crunching away. And I know that a lot of people on base, like they're kind of, some of them don't have the same responsibilities. So it's good for them. It's a good break for some people. But for us, it never stops. And uh, we've been uh, working around the clock. But I want to go around real quick and just refresh everybody's background and how that correlates to their roles at Spark. So I'll start with uh, Max here on my left. Max, what's your background and then what's your role at Spark? At uh, yeah. So my background with uh, is well, my AFSC is uh, 2 Alpha 634. For those of you who know what that means, it's a fuel systems technician. Okay. Yeah. So originally uh, I was a tank rat, which is what I enjoyed calling myself. Um, what is crawl. that? So we, but we crawl in, in and out of uh, all of the aircraft wings um, and fuel slodge, uh, changing components and working in JP8. So, gotcha. Fuel yeah, tanks. Got yeah. It. So it's like a water park for fuel. Oh, nice. Yeah, just sitting there, splish splashing. Sounds healthy, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What uh, is that perfume you're wearing? Oh, it's, uh, it's JP8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's lovely, lovely. Um, no, yeah, and then uh, I was introduced to Spark actually 
very early into my career, back when it first uh, started started actually heating up um, in 2017, early 2017, uh, I was part of one of the original airmen who was working together to start up this new idea. And then from there, I just learned under a bunch of awesome individuals there, like uh, Catherine Norcom and Zachary George, people like that. Um, Brian, um, I'm sure you guys all know Brian. And then uh, from there, just continue to continue to learn and grow there. And now I'm uh, now I'm the 3D printing expert with uh, with quotation marks. I have a lot to learn still, but that's Fair. my my Sweet. role. Sweet. And you've uh, you've really grown into the role of of now not being that young airman. Now you are on the team hooking them while they're young, just like we hooked you. Paying it forward. Uh, what about you, Phil? Uh, talk about where what your background is. He's sure. Yeah. I'm a so I'm a I'm a flight engineer by trade. I've I've really been wearing wear my flight suit, my pajamas to work for, for close to 24 years now. And, uh, and getting to getting along, getting along in years, getting to the end of the road for, for my time in the air force. And got a great chance to come over to Phoenix spark a few months ago. Funny enough, talking about COVID, I showed up to my interview wearing a mask because I, I think I had the first case of COVID. Really? I, I believe so. It was back around November. Nobody knew what it was yet, but, uh, but I, I got to interview with, with a mask over my face and and somehow Chris and and Brian still saw fit to hire me so it's been uh it's been a hell of a road since so it started with you your patient zero yeah that's good to know in America sweet uh <laughs> uh John what about what about you John's uh been here a, a good long while uh for this far as I know John tell us about your background four scores uh <laughs> you say four scores uh, uh no I uh uh I'm retired Air Force. I was there for 26 years. Uh, rounded out being the uh, the C5 engineering god on the C5 aircraft, and I love flight engineering. It is very innovative in itself. I got in on a project uh, before this started where we were working to build uh, uh, iPad devices for uh, aircrew. Uh, it was EFB. Uh, yeah, we started working with the EFB, and then once this position came around, I was working as a uh, computer contractor on base so i saw this job open and i advertised and got in it and haven't stopped since it's great sweet uh, my background i was a b1 weapon systems officer and then uh, became a c-17 pilot basically just got picked up to help out as a um, deputy chief so assistant uh, to the regional manager <laughs> for uh, phoenix spark so i help out with logistics admin and uh, help out where i'm needed so, um, it's kind of nice we all have a large breadth of experience to bring to the table and it's helped out with our innovation process so with that being said and i touched base on it how we're still innovating to this day um, i wanted to present uh, what the team has been working on in coordination with the med group bio environmental engineering and fab flight via the 60th amxs to talk to the two guys who really helped uh, create the foundation for it, Phil and Max. Phil, can you kind of talk about how did you get involved? What First of all, what the project is, and then how you guys got involved with it in regards to a response to COVID-19. Sure. So uh, so in my in my long tenure, three months at Phoenix Spark, uh, I've, I've kind of seen that we are, we are seen as the problem solvers on the base. And we've got a great ecosystem, folks, in every unit to include the hospital. Who uh, who know where they can go when they've when they've got to figure out what what to do about a problem a major pain point if you will so when the med group reached out to us uh, Jessica I think you guys might have met her and she reached out and she's like can you come to one of our meetings we're having some we're having some some problems dealing with the this crisis and maybe you could help figure something out 
she didn't really know what the problems were, but she knew there'd be plenty of people bitching about him in the in the uh, in the meetings. So uh, went to the oh I can't say I thought that was FCC approved. Now <laughs> we might have ended up, but yeah, <laughs> oh, maybe press freedom speech. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. So I went to the meeting uh, with the the MDSS commander and uh, at Jessica's request and listening to the problems they had, I was sort of expecting more telecommuting type issues, maybe talk about using some video conferencing and stuff like that. A couple of really young, uh, really young infection control technicians who were concerned with the, with the usage of the N95 masks. As soon as COVID kicked off, everybody started wearing them like gangbusters around the hospital. And they wanted to make sure that, that the people that really needed them were wearing them. West Side Stories down the aisles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some kind of weird cosplay stuff. John, any comment? <laughs> we started talking about uh, to keep these critical devices from being used up, and uh, and Aaron, the chief of bioenvironmental, was there. He said, you know, we really need some help figuring out how to extend the life of these breathing devices, of these uh, high filtration masks. I thought, you know, there's a lot of ways we can go with this, and uh, and I'll bring it back to the team, namely Max, because he's kind of our uh, our most innovative thinker at this point and our uh, our key design pro. So I'll leave that to Max to talk a little bit more about um, or ways to protect the mask. So started coming up with some face shield options. From there, it spread. Really, my my key role in it is keeping people connected. So. Uh, working with the medical group, working with the uh, our fabrication flight. We brought them on the team. Jeff Brun, Zach George, those dudes started rocking it, coming up with their own ideas and helping us to push, uh, to, to mass produce our ideas. And it's been a great team. Uh, we've now got partnerships with uh, Aerospace Ground Equipment, who has laser cutters to cut the, cut the plastic for the face shields that Max designed. Yeah. So like from what I understand, like when I was because uh, I was traveling when I came back and I was, I was able to catch up with what I saw, you guys were tackling it right off the bat. I mean, they said that, hey, we have a PPE shortage. We need respiratory face mask. We need uh, face shields. And it was a national crisis, not just locally at the David Graham Medical Center. And then it seemed like Max was working around the clock to create from scratch his own perception or what would be like his take on like, Hey, this is how we should 3d print it. This is how we, this is how it's going to be fundamentally used and et cetera. And you were just working around the clock and you kind of had to build it from scratch, right? Or did you create a template from someone else's for the 3d printing process? Um, well, so just, just to go off of, uh, what John, or uh, what, uh, what Phil said originally, um, with the N95, he informed me that day about how they were looking at possibly at that time N95 replacements. And, um, I reached out with that. With that, um, I reached out to the three D printing community, which there is a, a plethora of, of individuals now um, w- within that that uh, that realm. Able to pull um, a couple ideas that I thought were going to be effective or useful towards our use cases. Went ahead and printed one of those off to uh, take to the meeting, uh, and then from there, that's when we sort of found out more about different PPE items that they were requiring and needing. Um, what is, uh, what are some of the challenges? Cause I know that you kept going back to the table work. You would, you would get some and you'd get really excited and you would see that in, you'd print it out and then you'd be like, man, this thing is not going to work because of this and this, what was the biggest hurdles that you saw that you had, you ran into in regards to the 3d printing for it? Uh, so my biggest hurdles at least were originally I, I discovered a design by Joseph Prusa, the actual in, inventor of the, the, 
printer printer I prusa used. yeah yeah printer prusa i found a a design that they had been working on and creating different iterations of and i liked how he had designed it or the individuals working on that had designed it but i i saw there were some modifications we were going to require here for our different use cases started from scratch with that general idea in mind mm-hmm. and then started building off of that and as we started to fit test it and work with the medical uh, bioenvironmental and Colonel Weaver and get his opinions on it. We sort of found some things that were, they wanted some small adjustments like uh, the head straps over the top for Mm -hmm. people who are going to be wearing it for hours on end during things like surgeries and, and then just trying to modify, modify designs and develop new parts that can be fitted to it, discovering we needed it to wrap around further around the face. So creating different designs that allow for more face coverage, um, and et cetera. Okay. So it's, it's really a teamwork with them and figuring out uh, what exactly they need and trying to get them exactly what they want um, as soon as possible. Yeah, and it's it's happened pretty quickly. Like in a two-and-a-half-week period, It's I saw the fruition of you guys starting the meeting, and then you guys hit the ground running. Even through the weekends, you guys were creating something, uh, redoing it, coordinating with the rest of the team, and then Phil would be like, hey, let's make this meeting happen, et cetera, et cetera. And then from what I saw, it then got to a point where, okay, now we have the prototype. Now we're printing 22 to 30 in a day with all the printers running nonstop and working that. And then Fab Flight pushing out 400 in a day by a laser cutting the more disposable face shield and then you have mm-hmm. the more uh reusable face shield and then this is where i'm bringing in john dickerson on the phone too as uh for his part in this is that the idea then okay one of the things that you have an issue with when you deal with a project like this it starts getting a heavy spotlight because now this story has been picked up by cbs news it's got picked up by um by iheart radio local pa national pa i mean it's a story and it starts with a Travis, but one of the things that was brought up was was funding, right? Crossing streams. So you have the David Graham Medical Center, which is in a totally different pot of money. And John kind of threw the flag out there and was brought up like, hey, how does this work in regards to we're using Phoenix Spark materials to create a product for an outside entity along with all these other products? And you, most people would think realistically and the listeners who are hearing us now, they're like, okay, well, what does that matter? We're in a national crisis. This, this shouldn't be, it's the government creating funds for the things for the other parts of the government. This should all be one big pot of money. And unfortunately it doesn't work like that. So John, can you give a little bit of perspective of what you saw as challenges on your side and things that you needed that you saw, Hey, this is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, yeah. One of the things I do here at Spark is the project management stuff. Part of that is, is and that's one of the great things that we've pulled off here as other corporations may not, we can see a problem and call Bauer environmental directly and bioenvironmental wants to work with us. Uh, we can call FabJob and say, we need a thousand easy masks and bioenvironmental or the staff shop works with us. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if that works with other companies, but for us, like finance, uh, I make a call to finance and say, I need to make sure we do this correctly because you know we don't want to waste the Americans money mm-hmm. or my money for that matter. And, and it works, but we have different funding groups like GPC, super GPC, GSA, four nine cons, all these different, entities that have to go in it has to do with who it's going to what it is how much money it is there's a thousand different factors in there so right. I, I rely heavily on uh, lieutenant banuet who's our, our finance finance target and also today actually while we're still doing this i'm i'm still doing the squadron innovation fund from the last few months the, the, our other projects that we are running 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah, Phil's asking about the squad innovation funds. There's a whole nother podcast that's going to be dedicated to probably what we call SIF, um, the squad innovation funds. But for the most part, it sounds like from you know you can hear from John talking about all these different pots of money. The crossing of the streams, if you will, is not is one of the reasons why John is here because it does take a lot of work to be able to allocate those different resources and continue to make sure that they don't uh, merge into each other. Otherwise, that there's in, there's investigations, there's auditings, and things like that. So uh, John does a lot of work inside the studio with us in making sure that we uh, we stick to our parameters. So I appreciate you doing that, John. So, um, yeah, it's and that was one of the things that was brought up and we got a letter. I can't remember which general sent it down, but he was saying that, hey, this is considered an overarching covid fund. So then it was created from the covid-19 response fund where we were able to all be in the same pot of money. But that had to be created. There wasn't anything established for one government entity to utilize that. So what is the next steps? What's the current thing that's being created in your mind and pushed to the team? And what is what are we working on? What's the what do you see as the future as? the COVID starts to taper down and we start to pull out of the COVID response and more of the aftermath of that, what do you, what do you see as the next step? Um, well, from a design aspect, I think a big, big one um, still right now is being able to get the general populace an ability to wear face, uh, face masks and things like that. So creating just a simple friction holds or friction clips for them to be able to use recommended materials by the CDC. So like cloth shirts have been recommended, has been a push for us. In addition to for our frontline workers and, and medical individuals, um, being able to actually make them their lives more comfortable. Sure. Um, having to wear N95 mask all day is, it's, it's a struggle. Um, it really is. So developing things that uh, help protect their ears and make make their lives more comfortable in those situations and you have that capability as a in 3d printing because everybody sees that from my perspective they see the the hard printed plastic stuff from 3d printing and you can create like a softer material there's a softer material that pushes out from that yeah um with the recent development and uh into 3d printing there's a plethora of different materials you could print you can print from Materials that have wood grain in them, um, all oh, the really? way to things with uh, carbon fiber inlays, nylon inlays. Uh, they're now printing ceramics. Um, there's things like TPU, which is flux materials. Unimaginable amount of different things that are being developed. Um, Loctite is also developing um, different forms of resins and stuff for SLR printers. And um, it's, it's, it's really taken off with how many different types of ways to print and things to print there are. Right. Especially. So we were, we kind of talked about it a little bit before the show, but we were talking about how this has really changed and brought 3d printing into the spotlight before. And I made the illusion, but it was basically a lot of basically guys at home, just nerding out, just doing their own thing with 3d printing. And it was, you said it almost had a negative connotation with uh, people, the way they were 3d printing gun parts. And it was kind of this, uh, this almost a stigma, but now it's like, now it's saving lives. You've got stories in the news every single day about librarians printing face shields for their fellow librarians, uh, like just nurses helping out other nurses. I mean, you got to be excited about that. Yeah. I think like, like I said before, uh, originally it had that negative connotation. People saw people who own 3d printers as well. Wow. You're just there printing weapons and stuff. You're criminals. Um, but it's really brought a light to what the 3D printer was originally designed for, which is for people to be able to sort of take control 
of that design and manufacturing portion and bring that into their homes and uh, allow for individuals who have the resources or, or just have the want to learn and then be able to create what they want. And, and then that's that's what a 3D printer is, is freedom of design and freedom of thought. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, in terms of our own plug for Travis, we have uh, Max teaches a boot camp class uh, via Phoenix Spark and he teaches you and it's a free class and you're able to come into the lab and uh, he teaches you from the basic skill level of not knowing anything about 3D printing to be able to prototype your own part. And uh, for those in the Air Force, uh, you're able to come in and and. Uh, and actually take that class and it's uh, pretty open to everybody and we have enough room most of the time so cool thing to do so just a little plug there for max doing a great job with that and then what do you guys for the rest of the team too what is what do you see as the next step in innovation Uh, do you think that this has changed things as much as uh, obviously we we were responsive as any natural disaster right just all hands on deck we're just crushing out and everybody hey no no idea is a bad idea because you never know like oh good idea fairy and things like that but what do you see as the next step and innovation for for at least not even just uh, in general maybe just for spark or the travis team itself the innovation itself and the 3d printing capabilities uh, i think are going to change a lot for a lot of different reasons one is i think that this may actually probably be written into the uh the national uh, stockpile or this disaster response uh if, if they could come out and say okay everyone here's the print if you have a printer at home, print it out for your own families, for your neighbors, for companies. And it, it'll be faster than what happened with the response on this one. It was, it was uh, we don't know what to do. We're trying to get uh, the car dealers who are making respirators. Those files will already be available. Mm-hmm. It'll be a page they can turn and say, okay, well, today is the day we're going to kick off the worldwide uh, building movement where I could build their own parts. The stuff going on here at Travis, they're building aircraft parts because, you know, a part will take two years, I think we can make it in two days. That's fair. Yeah, I, th- I think what you said about uh, about innovating and uh, and the national response and, and stockpiling the, uh, the files and the, the prototypes and the designs, uh, I think we're really rapidly heading there now. Just the, the innovation and collaboration revolution that's that's happened uh, on this small scale with this Spark team and Max sharing his files for printing face shields across the country. We've got Spark cells in every part of the country that are taking his designs and they're in turn feeding us back new designs and people are using them to solve their own problems locally. Um, this is really, really happening. And, and this comes out of just about any major disaster, any, uh, any major national or worldwide response to a problem. Uh, World War II, we had the Industrial Revolution. I see this as the as the innovation revolution as a response to a worldwide virus problem. Yeah, yeah it's I agree with that. It's almost like a like a all hands on deck when they had all these different manufacturers that were converting their entire setup and production line into creating tanks or creating things like that. And then the call for masks, the for medical and hey, don't stockpile masks. And then there was almost a crackdown on people who had you know stockpiled yeah. them. The, the government confiscated them and then, re, you know, reimbursed them at the market value. But still, I mean, they had doctors who were going into warehouses where people had bought up 800,000 masks and these doctors.
doctors were doing black market deals with cash to buy boxes, and then they called enough's enough. You know, it's it was a it's a challenging time. You know, a lot of people made a lot of it at first, but I think this, like you said, it it highlighted some positive and some negative aspects in terms of our society and then innovation culture itself. I think the one of the things that came out that was real positive in my end from what I saw was that we are collaborating so much stronger than we had before. When I hear about or anyone hears about an individual who can add to the team fight for COVID on Travis, we add them to the Slack channel and everybody's communicating so we don't have duplicate efforts. And they're like, hey, I've got this idea. And then somebody might have the golden nugget to throw, drop on there and be like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Everybody, there's, there's like I said, it's no bad idea. It's just everybody's got their, their hands in the pot to kind of push the wheel forward. And I, I love that concept. I think it's a cool positive thing to come out of it. Uh, that's one thing I love about the Spark Lab is that is that we reached out to every airman on this base, like with the SIF, the Squadron Innovation Funds, and said, you guys have the brains. You know in your area mm-hmm. what's good and what's bad and what needs to change. And and we, we gave them an out. So they show us that we can fix at a local level I think that because we had already done that, now with this virus problem, we're getting ideas from every unit on base. Yep. The input is a wide base for Travis. And that that is really cool. Like you said, we have... Uh, everybody, environment, environmental engineering, and the med group, and maintenance, and uh, and Spark Lab, and it's just it's it was really cool that that side of it to see the whole breadth of knowledge. Phil, you had something to say? No, John pretty much covered it. Okay, We're what good. about you, Max, on that one? My my big thing was again on the teamwork, but in addition to just the general populace, um, especially in the three D printing community, just how just immediate, um, rapidly they all stepped up. It was almost insane to see just people going from just having fun, tinkering, designing, I mean, figurines and little quid bits for their phones and stuff like that to almost in a night shifting over to every single one starting to produce and design their own versions of face shields and face masks and different things to assist. I know that there's individuals out there who are just mass producing for hospitals and sending them the 3D printing actual like manufacturers of the printers like Joseph Prusa and um, Ender and things like that or Creality are just their entire stock of printers is dedicated to printing face shields that are being bundled up and sent to hospitals that are in need. So to me, I think that that has been one of the highlights has been how rapidly um, people were able to step up and start producing the things that were needed immediately. It really switched from a novelty to a practicality, like exactly. almost overnight. And yeah. it was it was pretty impressive. It's like the the call to arms, you know. It's the the farmer with the pitchforks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It was. It's like a you know we're the Title Three opened up the doors to large manufacturing like 3M and GE to convert their their warehouses to mass producing for the government. But like you said, I mean the American average American can play a massive part in that and. If you're, say, you're an average viewer, or you're an airman out there, and you're listening, and like, okay, I want to get a 3D printing. What's what do you think is like the basic outline of steps to do to kind of get to a spot where it's like, okay, I can I can help with that. So a first step would be just getting a 3D printer. Um, just buying a 3D printer and tinkering with it is going to teach you so much. Um, the one I recommend to anyone originally wanting to start is called the Ender Three. It's an FDM printer, which is a filament-based printer, and it's about 170 dollars. So it's a super cheap printer that is uh, one of the best bangs for your buck right now. Um, there's a huge community behind it, support. 
once you start getting used to just the the basic parameters of messing around with the printer, start getting into the designing aspect. And there's several free um, CAD options out there. There's free CAD, which is the one I use uh, primarily. If you're willing to spend a little bit of money, there's uh, Fusion 360. And um, those are just great ways to start getting into printing. And then actually just going online, you can find hundreds and thousands of files of things that people have already created so you don't have to duplicate effort. That's awesome. That's another thing I was going to say was that that we're reducing duplicate efforts with the more collaboration that somebody's not doing the work alone, that they're uh, and it's a the team effort of prevents the wasted effort of duplicates. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. I, I'm just going to send it around the table one more time for anybody who has any last inputs. It's going to change our way of life, the way we work, the way we think and innovate. And it's it's something that I think the team has responded really well to from my perspective. So kudos on everyone and everyone else who's been helping out with the fight against COVID. What do you see as the next challenges coming forth in terms of Spark or innovation or AFWorks? What do you see uh, in your little 30-second clip? What do you think? In my 30-second clip, uh, we have a new lab to build, uh, West Coast Center Innovation. And that maybe that's something we could throw out there as uh, see if people can give us names for it because wiki sounds kind of weird. Um, I, I suggest the AllSpark, but I was shot down. Um, <laughs> There's no I bad idea, John. Prime. I'll be uh, optimist. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the big things I want to throw out. Is the big thing for us is we have a big, bigger lab coming, which means more people, more innovation, and uh, we're, we're basically upping the scale of the great system we already have. Awesome. We're gonna and we're gonna have a whole podcast episode just on uh, Wiki, uh, aka West Coast Center for Innovation. We're gonna do a whole podcast on that and what to expect for the grand opening coming up. It's super exciting. The team's really uh, big on that. Phil, what's your uh, thirty second bite for what do you see coming up or challenges innovation or um, just your message parting thoughts? Uh, really, I'm gonna end with a with a big thank you to all the innovators out there in our uh, in our little ecosystem that are really changing the culture. Um, here, here. The, the mm. team that jumped on just for this little, uh, this little, little crisis, I guess we'll say, uh, just for this short period of time to solve problems. Uh, every one of them from the medical folks to the fab flo- folks to, to the finance folks has put their heart and soul into it. It proves to me and, and reinforces my belief that Americans will always come together when we need to. That's a good put. Yeah. Max. Um, for me, I think the biggest challenge coming back into it, um, both for population and innovation is is going to be the normalization period when uh, all of this finally settles down and people are trying to get back into their daily routines and squadron commanders are trying to reestablish infrastructures and things like that and trying to see what are ways we can actually innovate through that and keeping innovation in mind during all that and pressing forward with that. Absolutely. Um, and then for my 32nd segment, I would say that the the innovation has been incredible with COVID, but it doesn't stop the other projects that are work taking place prior to the COVID uh, problem. And, um, and it's the idea that we still have Cibber, you know, small business innovative research. We still have those SIF. We still have idea scale. We have all these other parallel efforts. So we have to still work in combination with those things. So I think the challenge going forth will be to, Hey, how do we keep up this momentum, this incredible collaboration and team effort and mix that and make that homogenous with the other efforts that we have going on. So appreciate everybody listening and tuning in. Uh, again, this is episode four. We're going to continue. We're going to have a lot more episodes coming up and you're going to see a lot more of us. Uh, so please, 
stay tuned. Thank you for supporting us and your local Spark Cell. And have a wonderful uh, day. And stay safe and stay healthy out there. Airmen, we look forward to you joining the Spark Revolution. Visit our website at travisspark.org and check out what we're up to on our Instagram at Travis. Hit the follow button and we'll catch you on the next episode.